Hey, this is Chicken. Thanks for listening to Moto X Pod. Hey, this is Ryan Dungey, and you're listening to the Moto X Pod. Hey, this is Dean Wilson, and you're listening to the Moto X Pod Show. And wax a chump like a candle dance Crush the speaker that booms I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom Deadly When I play a dope melody Anything less than the best is a felony Love it or leave it You better gain weight You better hit bulls out of kid don't play If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it Are the mics on now? Sorry, I didn't see you <laughs> If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it <laughs> On, you know you I like never, that. Not my thing, dude. I never was. It's not my. You mean you didn't have like the big, no. spiked up hair, wearing like Z Cavaricis back in the day? No. You didn't wear Jabos, Jamie? No. What the hell, man? You wasn't. Dude. You didn't feel that hip hop flow. No, I was. I was a rock guy pretty much from day one. Man. You didn't wear Jordans? I was no, no. I was the guy like. Where I went to school, it was like you were either rap or rock, and you hated the rap guys. It was like and the rap guys. Hated it was the sort of like guys. the kind of like the the Crips and Bloods, but it was rock and rap. Did y'all whoop each other's ass? No, I'm making that all up. Y'all didn't fight. No, not that I remember. Y'all didn't have no. Turf. I just remember hating rap. You didn't have no turf wars or nothing. No, no. Dude, what's wrong with you hating rap? Rap's all not this new shit that's out's not the stuff old rap before cool. that, like. Like LL Cool J, Run DMC, I know. Cool Mo D. I like that stuff. That stuff's good too, but but yeah, I was you didn't never... like NWA. No, right I like the... it now more than I liked it then. I did not like it then. Really, I was super closed minded. Like every, if it wasn't rock, it sucked. No, almost no. how I am now, but I, I'm a little bit more. I was about to say, ain't much. Yeah, change. it's not much different. Yeah, well, that's I mean, cool. but no, I wasn't like the. And I realize now when I go back and listen to like Run DMC and stuff. Most of their beats were all rock, like they had guitars and stuff. That's why I liked it. Okay, that's what I like about it. But right? I, yeah, you know, at yeah. The time I didn't know that. Yeah. But I think that's really what it is. Man, yeah, they it, did some stuff with Aerosmith too. Yeah. Back well, that's kind of how I discovered them. And at that time, I had n- I didn't even know who Aerosmith was. Right. My friends were into Run DMC and Walk This Way was huge, and I had no idea there was a band called Aerosmith that I just my parents weren't into music, so I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. No. But then when I discovered rock and roll, when I actually first saw like. <laughs> Poison was the band. Poison, it's a yeah. joke, but now I mean now it's a joke, but it, that's the truth. When I saw nothing but a good time, I mean they were legit back in the day though. Dude. Like if you watched MTV as a kid, oh yeah, Poison that, was what's hair up. Hair bands is what. Poison, my Def life. Leppard, Bon Jovi, <laughs> Warrant, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. all them dudes. But it was literally Poison that changed my life. When I heard nothing but a good time the first time, that was it. Did you get your ride on? <laughs> did I get my what on? Your ride on. Remember that dumbass Brett Michaels song you did for Supercross? Get it, oh, yo, right I on. do now. Yeah, now that you say that, I thankfully I had forgotten that. <laughs> that wow. song sucked. Yeah. I'm, I know, I'm pumped that he's a moto dude. Yeah. That's cool. You know, Tommy Lee's a moto guy from uh, Motley Crue. That's yep. cool. Yep. A lot of dudes are. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Back they used to hang out with uh, Mickey Diamond. 
Yeah, for sure. I've, I've listened to the uh, the Mick podcast with Mathis yeah. several times. It's good. But uh, guys, welcome Moto X Pod Show special edition with Bud Man Antonez. We're gonna bring Mister Antonez on tonight and just shoot the shit for as long as he'll he'll shoot it with us and uh, talk about his career, talk about how he got started, hear some funny stories. Hopefully, they're appropriate for the actually. Pretty much anything's appropriate for this podcast. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, talk to the five-time arena cross champ, the moto legend, now JGR Suzuki 250 team manager, uh, probably one of the most uh, well-respected riding coaches there in the game, like definitely one of them. There's a lot of good ones out there, and not to take away from any of them, but Budman, sure. you know, has um, – a lot of credit owed to him for a lot for a lot of what Weston Pike has accomplished. His success, he helped him out quite a bit, and Pike's grit and determination was part of that too. But I'm just saying, like when Weston first got in Supercross, he wasn't very good, and Buddy tightened him up, and now he's one of the best. So, yeah, yeah. It, I'll be honest, and I told you this. Like I didn't, I don't know a lot, a lot about Buddy Antonez. Like there was a period I got hurt in '96, early '96, mm-hmm. and I sold my bike. And I didn't really pay much attention to motocross or supercross for like eight years. Right. Which was a lot of his time span. So mm-hmm. I'm interested all, to learn a little all more. of his arena cross. Yeah, I, I'm interested career. to hear a little more and, and get, get to know a little bit more about him. I did some studying, you know, some stuff you gave me to look up and watch some old races and stuff. So Definitely. Yeah, it'd be cool. This old stuff, these old, these, uh, old guys, this is my wheelhouse. Yeah. This is what I like. If I could just talk to these dudes, I probably would. Nothing against the riders today. Maybe if we, we could throw West and Pike in there. Like, I'm <laughs> definitely a fan of that dude. But uh, I just liked it. I did, it's, it was my childhood. It brings back happiness and memories. And I love Moto in those days. And, you know, we get to, maybe we can get a good Denny Stevenson story out of him and uh, right. Chicken Matasevich, something like that. And, and go from there but uh sounds good two podcasts in a week jamie we don't ever do that no no this is the first time mathis does like 20 yeah yeah well brad at big mx does like brad does like 20 a day yeah he does like 20 a day (laughs) big mx yeah he he does a lot you know then you got daniel who's like i might do one a week yeah he didn't care he's all (laughs) but if you count all his broadcasting stuff though he kind of has them all you know he's so busy he's busy arena cross race day live eagle grid he's probably gonna be like doing football and all kinds of shit soon and we won't have they'll they'll we'll get the good the guy we need the good guy and they'll take him away from us yeah exactly well they haven't taken weeds yet thankfully to nascar so not yet we need to keep weeds we well, have to fight for him. We, I don't know, mate. NASCAR, he'd definitely be good. That's a good old boy announcer deal. If you still watch yeah. it, it's still a little bit that way. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They had to, if you're not from Georgia and you don't talk like you're from Georgia, they, they may not want you on the broadcast. Right. You know what I mean? But, uh, no, nah, it's going to be good tonight, man. It, uh, I'm looking forward to this. We've had it planned for, oh, gosh, several weeks now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, just hadn't been able to make it happen. We were going to do it yesterday, and then uh, – they uh, had to do some testing, had to move some testing up or something like that with JGR. So obviously, that happens. Obviously, duty calls in that area. And um, so, yeah, we here. Definitely. I'm looking Definitely. forward to it, man. This, uh, this week's uh, show, the Moto X-Pod show, was good this week, huh? I hadn't listened. You haven't listened to uh, Well, yeah. I, I, re- I don't listen back to our shows very often. Yeah. You like to listen to them. But I, I haven't listened to much of it. I'm just going off what TJ said. Yeah, I so don't maybe, listen back because I hate mu- hearing myself. Well, it must have sucked then if TJ liked it. But it, uh, <laughs> I um, – 
No, I, I listen to the intro to make sure to see where I can improve there, which I could improve a lot actually. But and then I listen to Weston's interview, and and I, I meant to finish it, but I, I hate listening to myself. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just don't listen. I listen to the first couple shows that mm-hmm. I did with you guys when it before I was really even a part of it, and yeah. then I really don't listen anymore. Well, the thing with uh, with what the uh, a lot of reasons I'm listening are not to hear me, you, or TJ, or any of the guests. It's to see. Where we can maybe add something cool in, where we could take something out, where we could get something better. Because that's kind of a lot of what I do is try to put that stuff together while Jamie and TJ handle all the audio stuff. And actually, Jamie handles getting just about 99.8% of the guests, too, for this show. That's kind of where my thing is. I like to, I like to, to content. Cut, yeah, I don't know if you call it, not produce, but I don't know. Put all put it all together, I guess you could say. And I'm just trying if I have I'm trying to get new ideas, basically. Right. So yeah, this is our uh, this is not our normal format. So if we if we screw it up, sorry. I mean, this is not what we're used to running our stuff tit for tat the same way every week, and have done it that way for dang near a year and a half now. And um, so and once again, TJ's not here, but he uh, at least has a good reason this time because yeah. I think work is a shitty reason. Works a shitty reason. But he's headed to Daytona, so Doc can run Amateur Day. Yeah. And TJ says he's going to run Amateur Day, but I don't, I'll believe it when I see it. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do, if any of you guys, if you listeners are at Daytona and you see TJ, walk the other way. Just ignore him. And, uh, <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> I'm kidding. Say hi to him. He's, uh, he's, a real, he's a dork with, with probably the, uh, I don't even know. He'll have the cheapest shirt on he can have. Oh, maybe he'll wear a Moto Xbox shirt. Oh, what did he? He pay? has one. Oh, he did. Yeah, I can't get, even believe he. I can't one. even believe he bought one. Oh, that's true. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's like, "Well, just wait till you're done with yours." You know. <laughs> but anyways, guys, go take a quick break. Get Mr. Buddy Antonez on the line and be back. All right, guys, welcome back. Well, here it is. We're going to get right into this podcast with none other than Buddy Antonez, five-time Arena Cross champion Buddy Antonez. Bud, man, what up, dude? Not much. Thanks for having me back, guys. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, We're we're excited, man. This is awesome. We've uh, Jamie's been doing his homework. I've been having to do a little bit, but uh, I can pull stuff out of my head from different years and... You know, I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. But, uh, man, uh, t- talk a little bit about uh, you're doing the team manager thing with JGR. How are you feeling about uh, what's happening over there right now? You know, the last, uh, you know, right around Oakland, we had a big turnaround. Let me back that up. Hold on. Weston Pike has been crushing it all year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we are one big team. So, you know, I guess you can say in some, some sentences one – part of it's struggling it's all kind of struggling a little bit right so um around oakland we finally got both teams finally firing all cylinders and um you know doing a lot better with our results and making stuff something happen each weekend uh, putting something on the board that's respectable so um when both sides are doing good it, it makes work a lot more fun that's for sure yeah definitely i can imagine there's a lot of stress when guys are getting hurt and I mean, your position as team as assistant team manager, it's probably a high stress position anyway. 
And then you guys have, you know, just getting guys hurt and trying mm-hmm. to find filling rides, getting Mookie, you know, moving Justin Hill up to the 450. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, and it seems like, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't end, you know, and I guess that's part of it and being able to connect those moving parts and get performance and, and, uh, still show up on Saturdays and look fresh as a daisy is, uh, is part of the game. So, right. um, at the end of the day, um, every move that we have made thus far has, has made good results. Um, so, you know, with the help of Jeremy Albrecht and all the crew at, at JGR, um, you know, we're, we're making, making stuff helping happen. Right. right now, Hill, Hill moving up. I mean, the, the, obviously Tampa was spectacular, minus the one mistake with Marvin in the uh, main event. I mean, mm-hmm. I was pretty certain he was going to try and run away with that deal and very well may have. Uh, you know, Atlanta mm-hmm. didn't go so hot for him. Is, is he hurt from that or is he all good? No, he's all good. Um, he just, uh, obviously, he stepped off jammed his feet in the boots because um, he pretty much came off midair and stopped um, on the face that uh, almost almost cleared it but mm-hmm. uh, with his body, but he did it. So he kind of came to abrupt stop and uh, jammed his foot pretty good. Um, he won't be racing this weekend. Uh, get himself, take this week off, and then get back on the 250 and get ready for the West, um, where, believe it or not, he still has a shot over there with the – another with an east west two east west and yeah. a triple crown so you know keep your eye on the prize and and get going but going back to what you said about um tampa with him um it was pretty amazing and, and he actually um, surprised me as well like i knew he was going to be good on the 450 um from what i've seen prior but you know that good it, you know you just you just can't can't make that stuff up you know and and I, I believe, you know, with everything in his preparation, he would have struggled with the last five of and one lap of the main event. But I really feel like with the way he was riding, he could have possibly been so far out um, had he got by Muskin because he was so good in the sand. Maybe no one could have caught him. You know, the woulda, shoulda, coulda are yeah. always what keeps us as fans uh, tuning back in every week. week. Absolutely. Well, that's for sure. And uh, he was looking good, but uh, he's still very much in that uh, that West Coast title fight. And uh, so I guess it's time to get back to business with that. But uh, yeah, ju- if ju- I can get him to jump off the bike and and hurt the dirt like Weston, <laughs> we wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have any any injury reports. You know, it'd be like everyone's good. Weston Let's Pike's go. the only guy that can bruise dirt, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, he he can. Before we get back into your racing career a little bit, how did you originally mm-hmm. transition from? racer and you did some like coaching to a, a, a team manager how did that originally happen and were you did you second guess it before you moved into that position uh of course you always you always second guess things that are unfamiliar and and taking a new adventure um but i was kind of um you know when i first got done racing i was a little bit all over the map with with owning my own arena cross team and then uh, doing dabble a little bit of coaching with Nathan Ramsey. That was kind of my start of things. And then going back in 2007 and, and helping with Suzuki with the Rockstar team back then. And um, then eventually halfway through the season, managing the team. Right. Um, but then that, you know, only had a one year shelf life. Um, so then I went back to coaching, which, which I, you know, knew I could do. 
and uh, grew that business over, what, shoot, almost 10 years, pretty much 10 years, maybe right around there. And um, then, you know, being around the JGR team um, since 2000, actually 2013, I started helping Brayton a little bit. Um, so, and, and me and Jeremy Albright go back to when we're 12 and 14 years old, um, riding together in Richie Canyon, you know, so we've been really good friends for years. So, um, fast forward and through it all, Weston getting on the team in 2015 and me coaching him pretty much full time and then helped break. And I've been around the team, you know, um, and, you know, in the past it was always the riders, you know, taking care of, of me, but mm-hmm. the team was always inviting to, um, me helping on, you know, a few different levels and um, getting around the group, those group of JGR guys that is was, the, you know, the core group moving forward in this year before we got bigger. Um, and then Jeremy started talking to me about it last probably March, um, maybe even before that. But um, and we kept talking, didn't know which way it's going to go. And so it gave me some time to ponder the decision and think about where I wanted to be in five years. Okay. Um, and so, you know, looking a little further ahead for me, um, taking a step this direction was, you know, a lateral move that could possibly have me, um, you know, being a bigger part of a corporation throughout the years versus me being a business of myself, you know, which we all know is anybody in business with themselves that has highs, lows and valleys, and it's not always highs, you know, so, um, you know, with working with a bigger corporation, it's more even keel throughout the board. Um, so, um, and, you know, me as a former athlete and all that, I always look forward to a challenge and looking to see what I can do in this position. And, and also, I've always said, is learning underneath Jeremy, you know, who has, who has brought this team with Coy Gibbs and, you know, 10 years ago up to what it is now, you know, and that's, that's something you want to be a part of, you know, at the end of the day. No, absolutely. It's, uh, I've, I've enjoyed, um, watching that team and the, uh, the, the growth of it and, you know, the ups and downs they've had, and, but, but being around you guys, you know, getting to meet you guys at the races, talking to you, talking to J bone, just the mm-hmm. whole team. There is not a friendlier environment in the pits than, than the JGR pits. It's my favorite place to go when I go to a race yep. for that reason. Everybody's serious, but they're not uptight serious, you know, to where it's nope. just annoying to be around, yep. you know? Yep. And that was the thing with me coaching and coaching different um, athletes and different camps and all that, you know, um, obviously I got a little bit more familiar face with Jeremy there, but it's the whole crew, you know, and, and when I started there, you know, helping Brayton and then Weston, like, it's just easy, you know, and you feel right at home and, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Um, big John before rabbit came on board, you know, he was by far the best cook in the, in the, in the paddock. And now with <laughs> rabbit on board, like it's just went up another level. So, yeah. you know, that's a big part of it because you, you kind of, uh, you know, live out of those semis, um, a few days out of the week. So it, it's got to be that way. And, and, uh, you know, Jeremy Albrecht is by far one of those guys that is the best with the sponsors. And that's some of that environment, why they keep coming back because they can walk in the semi and not feel like they're intruding and yeah. this and that, and, you know, and it, and it makes it friendly. 
Yeah, Mathis also says that's his favorite rig to hang out with because of the food. <laughs> so I may I may have to come find you guys around lunchtime in St. Louis. There you go. Hi, uh, you got to come sample it. Yeah, sure. and I, let me know, and uh, we'll, we'll get you in there. I may have to do that because we we've only done two supercrosses as media, and uh, JT mm-hmm. has hooked us up at the Rocky Mountain KTM truck both times with. With burgers, but maybe I'll have to venture over to JGR at lunchtime this at St. Louis. Hey, those Bubba burgers are good, but I'll be <laughs> yeah. interested to see what the, what what they got over at the JGR pit. Yeah, yeah. get over to get over to that Auto Trader Suzuki. Well, I'm gonna uh, Yoshimura rig and see what's yeah. up. Well, I'll come find you in two weeks. Yeah, you'll be seeing yeah, it for got sure. It. He, he likes, it. he likes to on. eat. I do like to eat. He's the the tallest, skinniest, hungry person you've ever seen. But, the taller and skinnier, they usually the more tapeworm they got, and they can just put it in there, and you don't know where it went. Exactly. Hey, I'm fine with that. I've been told for years I probably have a tapeworm the way I eat. I'm like, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, well, talking about mm-hmm. jumping back to your your, your history with uh, with uh, J Bone, the Albrecht family. I was watching uh, mm-hmm. one of the Golden State races from '88, and Joel Albrecht, his brother. You guys were still racing '80s. They're on the line together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a long long history. Thirty years, you know. Yeah. 30 years. That's correct. Yeah. And, um, Jeremy was a little older, so he's always getting up into the bigger bike before us. But me and Joel were, um, fierce competitors, rivals. Um, and we raced hard on the weekend and then hung out and were friends during the week. And, um, you know, and it always seems like with your buddies, you end up drawing a bigger rivalry than it was if it's somebody you don't know, you know, cause you're going to be around them that next week. So it's, you know, a little bit of bragging rights, but, um, Joel was one heck of a rider and, uh, Jeremy was, was really, really good too. Um, I think Jeremy had an injury where he got his leg or I believe his leg right when he got on the big bike intermediate. So, you know, sometimes some of those injuries can take someone back. Sometimes they're that time to reflect and get better. Uh, for Jeremy, you know, he just kind of from there, you know, um, never really went back to where maybe he could have been. Right. Well, that does happen. But uh, speaking <laughs> speaking of taking it back, how did all this dirt bike stuff start for Buddy Antonez? Like, at what age did you start riding? Did you first get a dirt bike? Well, three years old, and and until the Auto Trader um, signing we had, I thought that I might have been the only three year old. But then, you know, um, a lot of the guys on the team started at three. But uh, for me, as three years old, um, I had. Um, a guy, a neighbor guy that lived two doors up the street that was a local pro, had a few bikes in his garage, and um, I was up there milling around, and um, my dad knew him, and, and I, I guess the story goes from my dad that, um, you know, I was asking him for a bike, and one Christmas, as you know, a lot of people from the 70s, 80s, they had bikes under their tree on Christmas Day, and that was, that was my story. Um, also, a couple blocks away, um, a uh, little known guy by Eddie Lawson, a former 500 CCGP guy, mm-hmm. um, world champion, um, lived two blocks away. So ironically it was right in my neighborhood. And, um, so from there, um, dad got me a bike. Um, he got a bike. We would go riding with the local pro guy, mainly up the street. um, we used to have a track. I grew up in Ontario, California, which is like IE now. And um, we used to have a place called The Pit. And it was a sand track in California, believe it or not. Um, like 15 minutes from my house. 
Um, so I grew up right in sand. Um, and uh, my dad, you know, rode. And, and for the longest time, when I was about three years old, uh, we'd go out to the pit, and it was sand, and I wouldn't um, ride my bike at all. And I had an MR50, but I would start it and just rev it. Um, just read the crap out of it, and my dad's buddies would be like, he's going to blow it up. My dad would be like, ah, it's his. He can do what he wants with it. <laughs> and then we get back home, and, uh, yeah, that's how my dad was about things, so it's pretty cool. Um, we get back home, and we go to the local school field, and dad would run around, chase me, and I'd ride all ride all over the place. But didn't really want any part of the sand or the – the tracks yet it was just matter you know being in a, a space that felt good but yeah you know within time i was racing by four and um you know <clears throat> i was a little guy obviously even back then believe it or not <laughs> and uh dad has had to hold me up on the starting line and then uh run around the track to make sure i didn't fall over because i couldn't get the bike up so um there were stories of the announcers even announcing about my dad running around the track and his lap time to meet me to space to space. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Now at what point, and and you may or may not remember, what point did it really get serious? Like, Hey, maybe your parents, like this kid, this buddy has got this, like there's something here. Did you get approached by some sponsors, manufacturers, or at what point do you remember it getting really serious? So in, 1982, um, the World Mini Grand Prix used to be at Saddleback Park, and, um, you know, my parents didn't know much about the, the bigger racing scene. We just raced locally, Indian Dunes and Deanza and a few places like that. And in 82, we decided to hit the World Mini at Saddleback, and I did fairly well there, so then while they were there, they heard about a little race in Ponca City. <laughs> Um, so, um, you know, my mom and dad decided to, to take me back there and, um, they loaded up, uh, uh, 19, I think it was 1977 GMC truck with a camper, camper shell on it. Yep. We called the truck, we called the truck Betsy back in the day. <laughs> and, um, then some friends of ours from down the street wanted to come. So we pulled their tent trailer behind it and put our motor, my motorcycles on top of the tent trailer. That's awesome. And, uh. And we got back to Oklahoma. My dad tells this story. We get back to Oklahoma, and and uh, they were wondering where we were from back there. And, and my dad goes, well, we're from California. So we looked like a bunch of hillbillies with my bike loaded on top of the tent trailer being from California. It was a little weird, but um, kind of a funny story of, of that side of things. Like um, everybody else in California had, you know, was a tow track trailers back then, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so – you know, and I, I remember going back to Ponca. My dad bought me a new stock bike that was my mod bike <laughs> that right. year, and uh, and I ended up winning the class that year. And um, everybody, you know, around there that we hung out with was pretty much telling my dad at that point that you know something was. So I was going to get a call from somebody, and um, shoot a couple, probably a couple months later, um, we got a call from Team Green Kawasaki that. Um, offered me, you know, a few bikes and some parts. Right. So that was like the first part of like realizing that, you know, hey, that, you know, we can, he's getting some results, go from there. 
And uh, I did that for about two years and, and did pretty good locally, did consistent nationally. And then um, Rudy and Dean from R&D, um, I had one more year on 65s of the 911, um, but they kind of had their guys that were kind of going out of the class and needed to get somebody kind of younger to groom through that R&D program. And, um, Rudy and Rudy actually, um, liked me, liked what he saw in my racing and, and was talking to my parents still hadn't met me. Right. Right. Um, always just seen me with my helmet on, only <laughs> seen my dad. And, and if you see the last name, Antonez, my dad was, you know, the Spanish Mexican in the family, you know, real olive brown skin. And my mom was, was white. So, um, and he, they always really see my dad cause he's the forefront of it. And, um, when he started talking to my dad and I pulled off my helmet and I was a blonde haired green eyed <laughs> kid, he was blown away. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny when my dad tells it, but, um, or told it. Right. And so anyhow, they approached us and hired me to ride the 85. And back then it was 12, 16 intermediate class because they had intermediate expert. And, um, but they were still going to allow me to ride the 65 if I wanted. Um, but I was so excited to get on the 80 and, and that R and D 85, cause you can always remember, um, or people can remember back then is of Dean doing those, uh, jetting drills on the stand and around them. They always sound really good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I made it two races into the trans Cal in 65 and it's an app right 80. So, um, soldiered on from there. And then really when I started to make some noise was probably when I turned 80 expert the next year. And, um, uh, I think that was the first year Suzuki came out with their new bike from that they have been on for a while. And a new bike, which is really similar to, um, what we have today with that. And, um, I did really good in the trans Cal, you know, um, I ended up winning the series. Wow. So, yeah, as a, I think I was a 12 year old at the time, you know, racing against, back then it's 12, 16, racing against Kyle Lewis and, um, gosh, who was it back then? Denny Stevenson, believe it or not, was on an 85. He's a big guy in 85. Like, and, were, uh, guys, were you racing guys like Gaddis and Button yeah, back then? Yeah, you definitely raced Gaddis. Uh, Button, Button was my age. Gaddis was, uh, eventually older. <laughs> okay. Um, so was, the older guys were Kyle Lewis. Um, why am I? I'm trying to Maybe think who else was coming. Me. Who was coming? Who was coming? I think Brooks was before that. What right? about like Bradshaw Brooks was, and Emig? Brooks was, Brooks was before. So Bradshaw, Bradshaw, Fro for sure. My right? age, Fro for sure. But he was a little bit older, like Denny, okay. smaller. So he was still on the meeting. Chad Pedersen. Yeah. Um. Uh. Man, there's there's I could a list of them. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank like here, a, and here's why. Watching the uh, the Golden State uh, from uh, Carlsbad mm-hmm. in '87, uh, man, mm-hmm. it's like um, uh, Jimmy Gaddis, Jimmy Button, you know, Jeff, you mm-hmm. know, Fro, you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a ton of. I think you and Gaddis had had a came together, and you ate shit pretty good. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, and I. It's funny. A lot of people still pull that up or see that and um one of the instagram pages maybe it was 90s moto yeah um that up there and that that got a lot of like buzz about it 
um, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty neat to back then as an AD expert run on the pro day. Cause we used to run on the, with the pros on Sunday. And then also that it was on TV, you know, cause that wasn't a huge, huge thing back then. Um, and it, it was, it was a blast, you know, and, and then, had a few other run-ins with Gaddis from there, so that was kind of just start of it. <laughs> <laughs> Started a little rivalry. Uh, there was there was there was someone from Texas too, uh, Jason Schultz. Okay, okay. Um, you guys being Texas guys, you know, Jason Schultz was, was a pretty good eighty guy. Um, I'm trying to think who gosh. else was in that bunch. Tommy Clowers was in there. Tomcat. Tommy, Tommy Clowers. Tomcat. Yep. Um, um, there's a ton Dana of Dana Wiggins. Yep. Joel yep, Albrecht. Yep, yep. Um, you know there was there was a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, they uh, now of course one of the motos throw hole shots is which he seemed to be really good at, and then dudes catch him and he starts mm-hmm. moving over on them. <laughs> Just I mean, yep. little Fro yep. was doing the same thing that Big Fro did ten years later. You know, it was kind of funny yep. to me, but uh, you oh, know. It, it's it's hilarious because fast forward from that to 1990, I think, and we still um, Lee McCollum on the team. Maybe it was Lee. Someone just made a joke about Fro and that not too long ago. Uh, maybe it was Tony Tony Berluti. Uh, you know, one time we we're at Steel City and and Fro had about four of us lined up behind him: me, Stevenson, um, probably Pedersen. You know, um, a few of us at Race Against Fro for years, and we couldn't get by Fro, <laughs> and he was cross jumping and doing all that. So after the race, about three of us start yelling at him, and he's like. I had new boots on. I couldn't feel anything. It was new boots. <laughs> so, still to this day, or, or after that, when uh, ever Fro would be doing that, we'd just say, has new boots. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had new boots on quite a bit in his career. Yeah, he was warm every week. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. that, uh, that, that's hilarious. So, you're jumping up, um, you get to, let's see, 89 is when you first, uh, you race your first Supercross. And I believe that was mm-hmm. in uh, LA, Los Angeles. And you mm-hmm. got a, you finished 11th, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. And a lot of people don't know, I, I got off the 85 in April. So got off the 80 expert in April and then raced my first Supercross in June. June. Yep, yep, June. I had that date written down somewhere on here, but I can't even read my own <laughs> writing. But it uh It might even be later than June. Was it later in June? I think it, it was, was no, I think it was, it was in June. June. Yeah. Because that jumped out at me like, whoa, yeah. Supercross in June, but I forgot the schedule was different back then. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's and pretty I actually, amazing. I was actually yeah, it's pretty pretty not heard of these days, but um I actually was doing better than that speed wise but i went down on the first lap so um definitely mustered 11th i wasn't shoot and i think kudrowski and larry ward went at at it for the win i definitely wasn't their speed but i definitely um surprised myself that i was faster than i thought i was going to be right so did that, that immediately it. make you feel like okay i can run with these guys i mean <clears throat> oh absolutely you know because i was pretty good with them in practice pretty good in the qualifier and um I actually felt like going into the main, you know, being a, a 16-year-old kid yeah. full of everything that I was going to win. Wow, okay, yeah. See, <laughs> um, I was, I was... You know, and after, 
after you look at it, they uh, went down and they ended up laughing at me. So, you know, it's a humbling experience at the same time. Yeah, um, I was just going to ask but, if you were going into that being like the nerves at 16, would I would think would be astronomical, but you were that confident. That's amazing. I was, and some of that came from um, with Suzuki. Um, they had me testing around the, the factory guys a bunch. Um, so I got to ride with, with Kehoe and, um, you know, those guys back then when they were on the factory team. And, and so, you know, that helped a bunch, you know, which actually that's going on some of today with our amateur world. These teams are having um, these amateur kids be a part of the pro team early. You know? Right. Um, so it definitely helped, you know, it helped uh, the environment. It helped knowing I've ridden with some of these guys that are doing well, um, you know, definitely help that but at the end of the day let's face it i had done a lot of winning going into um where i was going and and i was confident you know well i mean i think that comes with the territory and we've seen it a lot you get to the pros and realize hey you know even even confident like this is another level you know it's like the college football player going to the going to the pros that's all the good players from college are there you know yeah yep so, uh, yep. the, and then you, then you get to the pros and realize how fast they are. And that's the humbling experience. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's like, um, I've always been a glass half full type of guy. So, yeah. um, I feel like you, if you don't go to the line feeling like you can do something, why are you going to the line? No. Yeah, for that's sure. Good, that's a good attitude. It's a good point. Well, you did, uh, you raced some nationals as well in 89. I think your, your best finish was a mm-hmm. 10th at Bud's Creek and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a little rough outing at the, at the other three you race, but, or at least the ones that, that are on in the vault I'm looking at. And, uh, but Hey man, I mean, the nationals were, uh, are always a, a tough thing, especially <clears throat> did you notice was, I, I don't know if the intensity would be any different, but from racing amateurs, you, you know, that's 10 or 12 extra <laughs> minutes on the track. How did that affect you yeah, starting no. out? Yeah, you know, it was it, back then you weren't expected to go and run with those guys because back then you had a lot of 250 guys coming down and riding the 125 class outdoors. So you were dealing with more guys with experience. It right. wasn't, you know, a, a, you know, all two, three year guys, right? Um, you had some veterans in the class. So um, the humbling experience for me, outdoors even, um, I rode one USGP, um, I think in July before I started my five run outdoor and, uh, the second moto I ran second till like two laps ago and crashed. Um, all the guys weren't there. Um, but it gave me some confidence and then I was training hard, getting ready for Washougal and doing 45 minute motos at my sand tracks and, you know, felt like I was ready. And then, um, back then, they used to run the 125 and 500 class and open practice for like an hour. I don't know, something <laughs> yeah. different than they got now. <laughs> and I'm getting around Washougal, never been to Washougal, and I'm feeling pretty good. All of a sudden, Jeff Ward and, and Ricky Johnson go flying by me on Horsepower Hill there, and I just was like, oh, I'm on the same track with them. Yeah. And uh, I locked onto the bike the rest of the day. I think I had arm pump the rest of the weekend. Oh, that, wow. <laughs> I read that story somewhere, and I don't know if you remember when we had you on last, I asked you about riding with those guys, and it was from that story. Mm-hmm. When I went back and looked at my notes, that's what I had yeah. remembered. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was that was a, just a surreal moment I'll that bet. made you realize that you're where you're, you've dreamed of being. And, um, 
these guys are smoking by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big, big step. I would have to. Assume. It's time, time to pay the piper, huh? <laughs> yeah, time to time go to back to work. I, it is, and I did actually have a good heat race because back then, yes, if you weren't in the top ten, you had to qualify for the the two motos, and I had a good heat race that showed a lot of speed, but it was short, so yeah, um, wasn't quite long enough for my arm pump to kick in. But um, then from there, I had a mud race, which. You know, you don't really have – you have a couple mud races in the amateur world, but lots of times they try to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my first mud race at um, Binghamton. And coming from the amateur world, it's it's one one race is all of it. There's not much points racing, right? And um, I think I went down on the first lap, and I came into the pit area, and I was like, um, out of this race, I'll just pull it in. Pat Alexander grabbed me by the helmet and um, said a few choice words and let me know that I wasn't I wasn't racing one moto at a time. I was points racing now and yeah. to get back out there. And um, I got back out there and finished the moto, but it stuck with me throughout my whole career that, you know, the world I was going to was sometimes you're going to have bad motos, but you got to make the most of them and put as much numbers or points on the board that you can. Absolutely, yeah. Hey, so back in those days, um, things were a lot different than they are now. There's no semis, no trainers necessarily. That you know, you didn't have the the chiropractor at the track with you. Uh-huh. How was that for you? I mean, how did you get to races back then? Did did you have to drive? Did you fly? You know, um, there's probably the we, fans were different. What was that like? Yeah, we flew, but um, our mechanics drove in box fans, um, which my wife still believes every first couple of year 250 guys should do two years or a year in a box fan. I like that. <laughs> I like not, that. That's not I, a bad I, idea. I agree with that. Um, so it's, it's pretty funny. She says that, and you know, there's some truth to it because they really do um, have a made dish. Not that box fans made us tougher or anything like that, but you're right there with your mechanic all the time. That relationship's different. You don't have any air conditioning. Um, you know, you um, you have to learn to adapt sure. to each different state, and um, you know, it, it it was different, um, and it made it kind of tough for me as I went past four a little bit, and then video started coming in and all that. Like, I didn't ever like to watch a video. I was a guy that went off field, but now it's video and all that mm-hmm. rules everything you know um but it was also neat because your relationship with your mechanic was was everything you know mm-hmm. because it was just you and him in one box in and you got really connected to him the bike and and everything that was going on you know right now do you have any uh any of your current guys under you rider wise that, that don't really like watching film um i don't they all they all like watching film. I haven't <laughs> really seen one that doesn't. <laughs> I know um, that's an odd question. I was just curious if there's one that's no, like, I don't it, care, you know. It's a good question, you know, because, um, like, you know, for me, I actually got more of watching somebody else on film mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. versus myself. So it's like, hey, if I watch what somebody else is doing, I could adapt and try that or this, but um lot now they're watching themselves um which 
you know, you really need to see what the faster guys are doing than you sometimes, you know, not just what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's good to make changes on yourself. That's going to help. But where's the guy that's going faster than me going, you know, or the fastest guy going or what do I need to do that he's doing. Um, so that comes into play. I haven't really seen in this world where um, they haven't, you know, like to watch video of themselves. Um, but with our guys, you know, we try to, knowing that, I try to make sure they, you know, know what other things are going on out there as well. Right, right. Well, there's all kinds of lit pro stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's it's a different world now, right? Yeah, the lit pro is cool, though. I mean, that yeah. I really do. Because that's not a deal where you have to watch yourself. You could literally um, just watch kind of your lines. And then um, if anybody else has a lip pro on in your team, you can see where they're going. You know, you can see a few things that way. Um, Nicoletti is that way, too. He likes to lip pro a bunch as well. Um, so... But he does watch a lot of video too, so I think he just he just swings both ways. Right. right. <laughs> Ju- yeah, jumping, we won't touch that one. Yeah. <laughs> jumping subjects a little bit. Did you have a a, a a Toyota Supra in those years, like your younger years, like maybe before you could even I drive did. it? I did. I had a Toyota Supra with some Nakamichi Eights hitting Alpine Ooh. Alpine uh, stereo. Nice. Yeah, that was my that was my first uh, purchase. Um, as a 16 year old kid and, um, you know, looking back, I wouldn't have purchased it now, but, right. <laughs> you know, um, it was cool. It was something also that, you know, I'd worked hard through my mini bike career and, and up to the point of 16 and my parents, you know, and, and weren't for it, but they allowed me the freedom to kind of make those stupid decisions to learn from, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, right. but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the car. Had a lot of fun. Um, I, I bet you and, did. And, and the Albrechts lived in a place called Ridgey Canyon. So um, we got to racing through there a few times. Uh, it, I it, bet. It was a lot of fun. Well, a uh, young, blonde-headed kid in a Toyota Supra, I imagine it wasn't uh, – you didn't have too much trouble uh, attracting female attention as well. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Not at times. Not at times. Yeah. <laughs> One of my, my childhood best friends growing up, his brother was quite a few years was dry it started but he's about your age and he his dad bought him a new Toyota Supra. We thought he was Superman when he came home <laughs> in that thing. Like we really thought that was the coolest thing we'd ever seen. And uh I would still drive one of those today. To me they're still cool as hell. They're fast too. Yep, they are. And we used to there's to be a place called uh Magnolia and Riverside and and uh, we used to feel, feel real cool cruising in that place back when, you know, cruising places was, was still cool, right? Right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it, it had the target top so we could take the top off. And, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was definitely the cool meter was up there. Yeah, that, that <laughs> high society in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, well, this high is a- society then you. Then you got into your box fan on the weekend. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> well, I remember like Kadrowski showing up in his Testarossa back then. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty sweet too. I got the one time I got to ride in uh, before I was even pro. Um, one of my buddies, Jeff Grafton, hung out with Brock Glover a bunch, and um, he had a Porsche. Oh yeah. And uh, one time, I don't know how me and my buddy Jeff Grafton ended up doing this, but we we're helping Brock move, and. Um, at the end of the night, after I was helping him move all day, 
he took us to eat in the Porsche, and then I remember him getting on that thing and just like, oh, you know, just like um, that adrenaline rush. Like, yeah. it was so fast. Oh, yeah. Like, really fast, so. That's awesome. Um, really, really cool moment as a kid, you know, to be cruising with Brock Lover to eat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was I'd pretty be pumped, cool. I'd be pumped to do that now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, so I'm not, I, I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, the 90s obviously were known for a, a lot of a great racers, but also a lot of partying. How did you guys balance that? You know, I mean. Or did you even party yeah, a lot? I don't know that you were known. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, I had my fun, you know, but um, for me it was was definitely a balance, you know. Um, you know, you had to know when the timing was right and know when the timing was bad and um you know and and that was that was kind of you know the tough struggle early on for me and then as i got older it got you know got better obviously but um you know i like to say back in the 90s we played hard and worked hard you know right um and then you know but I also think that there was a good community back then too, between the racers, you know, um, now, you know, anybody gets mad at each other and, and, uh, has a run in on the track. They just tweet about it. Right, right, Uh, right. Back then, you know, we, you know, get each other's faces or, um, you know, have all this and then sometimes be sharing a beer later that night at the bar. You know, it's, it, it really was that kind of, love hate relationship where you're going to race each other hard maybe be mad at them for a week or two but at the end of the day you know you still really respected them yeah it, it seems like, like a more there's more of a human element back then <laughs> than as far and now it's more like the social media is the, the bigger part of the element and it takes a lot of the personality and the camaraderie and, and out of this sport you know i mean a big part of why we love motocross at least in the amateur scene is hanging out with your buddies and just having a good time and you know the the the, the sport has become true. so business oriented and so serious that I think a lot of that's gone, unfortunately. Very true, and that's what gravitated me when I started coaching um, to the amateur side of it because you know I'd go um, for two weeks to Texas, and and that's what it was. You know, is that same kind of vibe? Like everybody's racing hard during the day, and then you know you might have beat four families having dinner at one camp that night, having some soda pops with yeah. their parents, you know, and, and, um, you know, it was, it was fun, you yep. know, it, it, it was fun, you know, and, and today, not that it's not fun. Um, but, you know, sometimes I think, you know, you can still be a hardcore athlete and still enjoy yourself, you know, and put yourself in the right limelight sure. and, you know, do all those things. It doesn't have to be so cookie cutter. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get really disappointed as a lot of people do with like the podium speeches and stuff. And like, I think if, you know, it's like, so boring. Yeah. Now. You know, like I, I picture like myself, if I was that talented and, you know, say Eli, like last year when Eli just ran away with, I don't remember what round that was where he was like a day ahead of everybody else. But <laughs> I think on the podium, I'd be like, holy shit, that was awesome well cooper webb but, might actually mm-hmm. say something yeah, like that but, but i think he's about the only mm-hmm. one you but know? those guys don't r- r- rarely do those guys give 
their com- competition props and be like, man, he was just awesome tonight. That thing he was doing over that section was so awesome, and I just couldn't do it, you know. And that's more like mm-hmm. I wish those guys could be that way. Yeah, they don't because they don't want the other one to think they have the, I don't know, the edge or right. whatever. But but at the end of the day, I remember back in the day, we used to talk to each other about how to do sections. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what? hey, what gear are you in? And, and they would tell you, you know, and that was uh, a part of the, the fun, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the video world, they don't have to talk to anybody. They can just watch it. That's true. But <laughs> I always like the stories I would hear of, like, a guy on the factory Yamaha Supercross track would, you know, hop the hop the fence or whatever and, and run over to the Kawasaki track or whatever, you know, and, like, they would ride together. And, hey, I, you know, I like those stories. And now it's like, you got the Eli Tomax that don't even want to practice with anybody else because they're afraid of giving their edge up. And that's, to me, that's just, I don't see that side of it. I just don't get it. I would rather ride yeah. with guys that are better and learn. And well, I remember back in, uh, hearing stories of, uh, McGrath at, you know, waiting for Brian Swink to jump something yeah, first yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or things or yeah. asking yeah. him what he's doing in these sections. You know, you just don't yeah. see that anymore. Nope, you don't at all, and and that was definitely like um, part of it. We got together to ride more than they do now. Yeah. It is getting a little bit where you know the teams within the teams are starting to get their their guys grouped together, riding more instead of letting everybody do their own thing a little bit more, so that they're pushing each other on practice day. That is happening a little bit more, but I think you know there was an era right in the mid two thousands where some of the guys, you know, the other guys on the team couldn't even be out there when this guy was riding because of whatever reason, <laughs> um, you know, and it's, that's just crazy. You know, yeah. everybody else earned the same right to be on the team. Like, you know, I don't know. It, to me, it's, you know, if you're on the team, you should be able to ride whenever you wanted. And, and um, if, you know, if the team's okay with you bringing somebody else down you want to ride with, I, I think it should be, I honestly think it should be a shared community with all the factories, but you know, I'm, I don't have the say in that, but right. it'd be everybody scrambled to, to try to make the track and you know, all that. And if everybody, you know, rotated and switched, you know, you would have more options for dialing in stuff and maybe competition is better. Cause I, let's face it on the, on the fan side of it, that's what we want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- that's part of what made the '90s so special, and there's there's many things, and, and we'll get into that a little more because mm-hmm. it's I just that time period I wish would never have ended. I loved it, and <laughs> uh, but even guys like McGrath and Emig who did not like each other could still like be in the same social scene, partying together, and it not be that big yeah. of a deal, you know? Like, oh yep. well, hey, he's yep. a dick, but he's over there, he's here with his friends, and I'm cool with those dudes, and oh well, you know. Very cool. Very true. You know, back around that, around the uh, time they made Krusty Demons of Dirt, yeah, they weren't the best of friends, but they did get together and maybe do some filming, hit, you know, the premiere and, you know, whatever. Yeah, they, they, they were seen around each other, you know, yeah, and and um, made most of it. But there was no extra fuel to fuel the fire, like, like with all the social medias, you know, they right. can't keep talking trash you know <laughs> midweek <laughs> you know you say your piece on saturday or sunday and then you know you maybe don't talk to him until the next week or see him just out at an event and maybe you hash it out maybe you don't but 
at the end of the day, you know, there, there was no other fuel going to it. Right. Well, I just, I mean, like you would never see Jason Anderson and Blake Baggett hanging out anywhere together. Or, you know, they might chit-chat here and there, like down on the line. Probably not. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't get it, but I guess we could we that's a we could beat that dead horse all day. And uh but yeah. let, let, let's move yeah. back into some buddy Antonez talk. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. you come out nineteen ninety factory Suzuki and dude put in some hellacious uh, hellaciously awesome results, you know, like six podiums, yep. a couple wins in there, that infamous mm-hmm. uh got on the podium with that infamous uh, Oklahoma City supercross that we chatted about in the last show. Yeah. Uh, talk yep. about ninety. Yep. That what an awesome year you had. It was a it was a great year. You know, I probably surprised the heck out of me, you know. Um, obviously knew I did my homework, knew I was ready. Um, but honestly, it I didn't expect it to come as easy as it did, you know. Mm-hmm. And that probably was a little bit of the downside to it, you know, because um, I really, you know, put in a great uh, Supercross year, put in a great outdoor year. Um, and, you know, there was no better feeling than what I had accomplished that year, you know, um, winning my first Supercross, you know, um, you know, it's something you'll never, ever forget. And, uh, the way I did it coming from a fourth place in the LCQ, um, to then, you know, getting out second or third in the main and then, you know, going away with it. Um, it's crazy. I feel I still tell that story to some of my guys that that have found themselves in LCQ. It's like glasses half full, right, guys? Like you can still win. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, you're in the main. Just you're in the main. Like you know, it doesn't matter how you get there. It's what you do once you get there. Right. Um, and uh, you know the the and it was at the Rose Bowl. Like you know that was really cool. And um, then winning at the LA Coliseum, which a year before that, you know, I had a crash in the last lap got lapped and was 11, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and so winning and, you know, it, it was one of those seasons too, where, um, it was my first experience with, with, we tested with R and D back in my 80 days, but it was my first experience with really testing and getting the bike dialed in that whole off season and really being connected with it. Right. And, uh, knowing I had a really good bike as well. Um, uh, I really, Tony Berluti was my mechanic at the time and, and, uh, thought I had the best mechanic in there, you know, all that, all that stuff you need to be able to go out there and put the season together you wanted. Um, and one of the highlights for me in the whole 90 season was racing with, um, John Michelle Bell, which, um, you know, arguably is one of the best riders to ever throw their leg over a bike in my opinion. Yeah, that's Um, one of mine too. I'm with you on that. And so, you know, battling on the track with him and, and, uh, racing with him, you know, um, at the time he was just another racer, but, you know, now looking back on it, it's like, you know, it's a cool factor is way up there for me on that. Um, that year also Guy Cooper went in the outdoor championship. Um, you know, that was cool to be a part of that because, that team that year was super big. I think we had seven guys, including Jeremy Buell, who was a kind of factory supported guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that team was a lot like the JGR team is this year. You know, everyone got along. We hung out. Um, 
I remember going to Guy Cooper's, um, like I was saying before the race in Oklahoma, um, spending time back there and, um, you know, Coop kind of taking us under his wing and, and, uh, showing us some of the other things he did to help his dirt bike in like trials riding and, and, um, what he called cliff jumping. I don't call it cliff jumping, but, <laughs> um, I did, you know, make the most of it. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, a, a lot of fun. And at that first year too, it was a formidable year for me. Um, uh, as me and Denny Stevenson, they're still great friends and Ronnie Tishner and a lot of my true friends from racing were a part of that team that year. Um, so, you know, it really was a big year for me that 1990 year. Right now, Bob Hanna was mm-hmm. around in those years, and I know now. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know now, I've, due to some recent, I, I saw uh, Denny. Den- Denny Stevens is not a huge fan of the hurricane now. After whatever comments <laughs> he made about it, was Bob cool to be around though, or was he just an uptight dick like he comes across as super cocky? You know, he was always so good to me. Like I, I got no, nothing bad to say about Bob Hanna because. When I was a little guy, he was bigger, and I'd be testing with the Japanese on the 85, and he'd be doing, I think he's really involved with the testing on the big bikes at the time. So we were around each other quite a bit, and um, he was always really good to me. Um, do I think some of that era, Hannah, Bailey, um, oh, God, you know, some of that there were too critical of our era and what you can't compare eras a whole lot. You got to take each, in my opinion, you got to take each one for what it is right. and also value and also value what each era has brought to the sport. No, I, I agree. And, and I don't, I don't know where they, where the, maybe they should, you know, they walked up hill in the snow, 15 miles yeah. of school type of scenario, but you still get that now. Cause like, I think Rick Johnson has said some stuff on, uh, I think we talked about it on social media. Yeah, well, I would about some riders and yeah, and yeah. I'm sure. I mean, it's always, it was always more difficult or more dedicated or more something back in my day. I just wonder if they really, really thought that once Jeremy started kicking the shit out of everybody. You know, maybe they thought it even more. Maybe they thought it was too easy for him, which I don't think so at all. Because there's a ton of good guys he had to race every week. There were a ton of good guys, and you know what, Jeremy brought something new to Supercross, which is staying low off the jumps, um, which eventually now turned into scrubbing, right? Yep. Um, you know, and he just, he rode all the time. He probably rode more than those other guys were running and doing their five mile an hour, five, five Ks or whatever they're doing. Sorry, five mile, five Ks. He's on, on the motorcycle tuning in his skills more, mm-hmm. you know, but that's what worked for him, you know, and, um, those guys got in that ultra competitive time where it was, oh, if you're not climbing 50 sand, sand dunes on the day, you're not winning on the weekend. Right. You know, you like I said, you can't compare the eras because our era trained, you know, it was just different. You know, um, we were, you know, if you look at it too, the skills got better as they do, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and if you compare apples to oranges, like as hard as those guys say they train, which they did train, but you could look at our last place guy in the probably 450 class and he probably trained harder than all of them, you right. know, or trains harder than all of them now, you know, because it's more 
scientific. There's more information. There's more knowledge, you know. I remember back in that day, too, you heard what those guys were doing, and you tried a little bit of that. You heard what this guy is doing. You tried a little bit of that, you know. There was no big science to it like there is now right. with heart rate monitors. And, you know, I think VO2 max tests were kind of come around there back then, but, you know, really being able to take that and do something with it, you know. And that's this is my perspective, of course, but I don't think I'm far off the mark. Right. No, not at all. I would I wouldn't think that. And, and you know, it's always a constant evolution. We're gonna look up in twenty years from now and think how much different it'll be than it yeah. is now, you know? So yep. and then yep. and we'll and, we'll have Eli Tomac saying, Oh, those guys are pussies, you know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you could, but you know, let's face it, Chad Reed's skills haven't changed. Right. He still has great skills, but you know, they're a little bit younger. They're, they're training a little bit more, you know, um, the right ways, you know, um, and what worked for Chad four years ago isn't going to work now. You right. know, you, you got to kind of stay with the evolution of it. And that's kind of my point, you know, um, because Ricky and, and, uh, Brock and Hannah and those guys did it that way. Didn't mean it was going to work in the next era because what got better as well bikes yep <laughs> you know no absolutely for yeah, sure yeah i think the bikes the the evolution of the bikes has really evened out the field quite a bit with all the technology and and the, and the 450s of course it, it makes guys that maybe not aren't quite so skilled more at a more even playing field unfortunately maybe fortunately mm-hmm. i guess for the racing part it's it's maybe more fortunate but it definitely has taken some of the skill out it has yeah, for sure. For sure. The the four-stroke world has, well, let me back that up. When the four-stroke world first came in, it did make Supercross easier. Right. But now they're making the tracks more for four-stroke. So, you know, it's it's hard again. <laughs> right. And I, I, w- I wish, you know, I look at some of Weston was watching something in the JGR gym the other day. Shoot, it was just maybe four or five years ago, and it had a few steeper jumps and all that, and it slowed the track down. Um, and then you look at some of the steep things they had back in the nineties, like, um, you know, they were building stuff. They didn't expect us to jump, you know, um, now everything's specific out to jump a little bit more. Right. And, um, you know, you, you, um, wish they would throw some stuff like that every once in a while. I do anyhow. Yeah. And, but you look and Houston, you go back to Houston and that had steep jumps. It was different, you know, and. I thought it was cool. Houston, sure. For instance. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I had some single launchers, and I don't know, it was, just, it was cool. Houston definitely was different. Yeah. I'll say that. There's been a lot of discussion with that in the last couple of weeks on some of the other shows, whether it be Daniel Blair, Steve Mathis, because of all the injuries. And, you know, people are like, how, how can we maybe lessen some of these injuries that have been happening? And Daniel was talking about that, you know, like back in the 90s, they built jumps where you would it was a slower pace. You'd go a little bit higher instead. Now everything's distance and speed. And I wonder if they mm-hmm. tried backing it down, you know, peaking the jumps out a little bit more, slowing it all down, tighter corners. If that would, if that would help any, it may not. I mean, like the bikes are powerful. The bikes are heavy. They're they're going to go fast no matter what, but it was definitely a different style of racing. And, and I, I do think that I, I do feel like it's obviously gotten more dangerous. Yeah, but they won't know those things until they try them. Right. You yeah. know, 
to be honest with you. And so um, I remember a few races, they had multiple switchbacks inside of a baseball arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or baseball stadium. Sorry, that was my arena cross talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> inside of the baseball stadium, you know. So I, don't know, I think they, you know, I think they could play with it a little bit more, you know. Um, I know everything's got to be set kind of far in advance, but, sure, you know, um, they could look at throwing a couple, like Houston was different, right? Throwing yeah. a few events that are a little left side and see if they, how they work, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but as far as the bikes and the speed, you know, 450, 250, I've heard a bit about power. That's not the thing because the mile per hour, 250s are going just as fast as the 450s at times. Right. Some, some tracks have seen faster, so they're still doing the same mile an hour to do the jumps. You know, that's true. They are for sure. You know, so, um, you know, it's just delivery. 450 delivers different. 450s, obviously, he's got more in the whoops, so it can get away from you more, and it's heavier. You know, mm-hmm. um, but but the speed part of it is not any different. If mm-hmm. we were seeing a big lap time change, where the 450s are way faster than 250s, then we got a speed difference. Definitely, definitely. Jumping jumping back uh, a little bit more mm-hmm. in your career, 1991. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. it was a little rougher for you, I guess. Not not as good as ninety, maybe. And uh, talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Did you were you hurt? I, I'm trying to remember that far back. Did well, you... like I said, if you remember, what I was saying that was a victim of you know the first year coming easy, the next year not quite training as hard as I did coming into my rookie season. Right. Um, you know, still put in riding. You know, just not as much work. And then um, I did get hurt at the second round and separated my shoulder. And, um, that definitely, you know, um, I hadn't been injured a whole lot, so that definitely set me back. Um, but I had some good results that year, but the thing of it is, is, you know, that was the time where they started, you know, to start to have amateurs in the pipeline, you know, and I think at the time I had Ezra Lusk behind me, mm-hmm. you know, so it was like, Suzuki's world was like, okay, he had his two years, we got one year out of him not seeing, you know, maybe the potential yet. So, you know, they brought you Ezra in and, and, uh, took me in another direction. So I guess that, you know, that... that's, that's pretty much the end of it. On that season right. because, um, you know, I still had some top fives. I got a, a third Southwick, you know, um, you know, I just didn't have a super cross season that I, I should have, um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't a total yard sale. It just wasn't as good as my first year. Well, and did that did that hurt your confidence, or did that make you go, okay, I got to light a fire under my ass, and I got to do I got to do better. It lit a fire under my ass because you know, ninety two. If you just fast forward to that, um, I ended up getting a deal with Peyton. Yep. And um, and Mitch Mitch's big thing before he even hired me, he really put me under the gun. You know. Like, can you do this? Can you do this? And it really brought out kind of that challenge in me to make sure I was prepared and make sure I was ready. And, um, you know, and I, and I was, you know, Jeremy just got a bunch of confidence from the year before mm-hmm. and he was fast, you know? Um, and that probably, you know, looking back on everything and I've said this maybe not only you guys, but that was my biggest mistake or not one, one of my biggest mistakes in my career was, um, coming into San Jose that year mm-hmm. in 92, um, 
I was a few points from pointing out and, you know, Mitch was like, Hey, you want to sit out and, you know, you'll keep your points for next year. And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm doing good. I've been talking to Honda, you know, I want to race, you know? And, uh, I actually ended up getting passed by Jeremy on, with like a lap, two laps to go. Um, and not winning that race. Um, and then, you know, they ended up going with Lampson. Lampson had a better outdoor season than me. Honda did. And, you know, my outdoor season wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Now, you <laughs> still wrote, you you did still ride Hondas the following season, a pri- privateer Honda, correct? Privateer Honda, yeah. Privateer Honda, yeah. Talk, yep. about, the and, de- talk about that decision to stay on that bike. Uh, well, I knew the Honda was a good bike. Um, you know, back then it was, you know, always, you know, one of the top production bikes. So, um, yeah, I decided to, uh, to ride the, you know, um, a privateer in the 250 class. And, uh, ironically, um, Jeremy Albrecht helped me out for a few events that year as my mechanic. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of, yeah. kind of got his, uh, his, he had, he already been wrenching for a few guys or was that, that was his, his, I think he had been wrenching for his brother a little bit prior to that maybe, or it might've been the first guy. I'm not, I don't know. Um, right around the time that Joel came professional in 91, 92. Yeah, you know, maybe Joel was hurt. He came over to work for me a little bit, and then he went to NCY after that. I know that part of it. Right. Um, but that year I had a really good off-season on the 250 in Europe, you know, like a lot of guys do. And then, uh, you know, with doing the privateer thing, you're underprepared. I don't think I got bikes till a couple weeks before the first race. And, um, you know, really tried to do it on my own, you know. Um, and I think I maybe won one semi that year in the class. But for the most part, I wasn't ready for 20 laps, you right. know, a whole year. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a, an, an age-old story. <laughs> it seems to happen to, to, to certain guys, you know. Um, and it's a shame that it was that way. But, hey, I mean – you still had plenty, plenty of a career left in front of you. Jumping ahead, I do want to stop before we get to Arena Cross. I do have to talk about yeah. uh, '96 in the in the Great Western <laughs> Bank team. I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, get out of here without that. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we all—that's a very well documented uh, story. How that team came together. You know, Jim, David Castillo, you, Denny Stevenson, mm-hmm. and uh, Factory mm-hmm. Phil. Talk mm-hmm. about just how cool it was everywhere you went. <laughs> See, that was that was the cool thing too. Like for me, had been back down the privateer road for a little bit, getting back involved with those guys as a team. There was synergy. There was that belief, and um, we all fruited each other on and cheered for each other and helped each other. Um, and it was just, uh, I mean, really cool. I think the first event in Orlando, we flew in uh, Jim's private jet, so that was you know a cool factor just when you landed. Heck yeah. So <laughs> it, it was um, one of those things that was um, – you, you, it's one of those memories you're always going to have. Right. Well, so you guys started the year. Uh, did you have a – you didn't have a semi, or did you have a semi? You had something, a big trailer, a big truck and trailer setup, right? Um, we didn't to start the year. I think we are I think we were using – Maybe, no, we did have it to start. Yeah, we did have a trailer to start, I think. But it was like a Kodiak with a fifth wheel 
trailer type of thing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and then we ended the year in box hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that year though, ending the year, talk about ending the year in a box fan outdoors on a one twenty five. The bud one twenty five that they bought themselves. That you bought yourself, <laughs> yeah. You, you killed yep. it, man. You're like yep. fourth overall, correct? Yeah. So kind of towards um, the end of the Supercross season that year, I started to because once again that was a deal where I put everything together late, bites late, and kind of racing myself into shape. But I was really, you know, working hard and doing the right things. And uh, towards the end of Supercross, I started to, you know, put together some good finishes and. Um, Ross Nayada told me if I top 10 the last two supercrosses that he'd give me some, you know, good suspension for outdoors, which I did. So then, um, he gave me that. And, you know, I started, I always rode going hell and good. So I started out good there. And then, uh, you know, I just kept plugging my way through the series and then shoot probably about Troy, Ohio. Um, who was it? Uh, Pishon got hurt. was riding to Mitch. And then Mitch gave me one, an engine for the rest of the year, which my mechanic just took in and out of the frame. So, you know, that was a huge, huge help, sure. you know. Um, but, you know, it was still on the bike that I, that I bought, you know, just had Mitch's engine. Um, but the cool part about that whole season was how cool the team was that year and, and all that. Like, you know, at some of the Supercrosses, everybody would, you know, the factory guys would come over and hang out at our truck to wrap and hang out, talk about the track. Um, you know, we really became that kind of fun center of the races where everybody hung out. <laughs> right on. And I like that. Me too. So after that year, mm-hmm. how did the arena cross thing come about? How did you decide to make the transition? Was there a moment in time where it just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do? No, actually, you know, Denny Stevenson, you know, called me. I had maybe, I think I had one deal going to ride Supercross next year. And Denny's like, He's like, man, it's time to make some money at this sport, you know, because when you're a privateer, you're you're scraping along, paying mm-hmm. the bills and still put the bike there and all that. And I think that was the first year that they were coming out with a points fund. And, um, and he's like, hey, you got to make some money. You know, I had my, my daughter, the she was a year and a half. And um, so, you know, it was one of those decisions, like, there's a bunch of money I can make here or I can keep plugging away on a, you know, um, God, it wasn't even factory supported. So a privateer team yeah, be the part of the privateer team and, uh, try to make you, you know, your way in supercross skills. So I'm like, you know, I got to do what I got to do. So, um, made my way over to ring cross and gosh, you know, looking back, it was, you know, best decision that I made, you know, yeah, made that- a lot of money, got a lot of, uh, props from all peers and yeah it worked out well together some wins it worked yeah. out well yeah. <laughs> and worked it, out real good did you start off arena cross with the primal impulse team with our buddy billy whitley i was with billy whitley every championship okay my guy billy mm-hmm. yeah billy's a buddy of ours man i i, I love billy and his wife yeah he, he lives about an hour yeah. 45 minutes south of us here so my first one was with tough yep honda and Billy was managing that team. And then uh, me and Billy and all, you know, Billy kind of put together a deal for us to go to Prime Loan Pulse the next year with Suzuki. So then Billy was managing the Reincross team. And, oh gosh, I um, Kurt Clovis was running the, 
the motocross supercross team. Right. Yeah, we had uh, we had Billy on uh, early uh, on in, in our podcast stuff. An interesting guy to talk to. Literally does mm-hmm. nothing with moto anymore. I think what does he hunt all the time? No, it's hunt? crazy. Yeah, he yeah. hunts most of the time. Yeah. So, but I mean, hey, I guess some people just get their fill of it. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, those hey, years. Billy, Go ahead. Billy is Billy is a hustler. He's always going to do something that's fun. Yep. And. uh make make good money at it so um yeah i got to spend some time with him in houston as well and uh him and angie are doing good so um was really happy for that yeah they i think they if they're not hunting they're at the the wakeboard or at the lake or wakeboard yep. competitions yeah that's right yeah with parker yeah yeah, yeah i was yeah. about to say yeah trampas yep. is at those deals a bunch well, i think they're, they're oh, sons, their son they're yeah i part. thought you meant tra- yeah because yeah, yeah. they all well, hang Tramp- out trampas does do that too yeah yeah yep. Yeah, we so cool. so. I mean, was that just like a? I mean, could you believe the run you went on in Arena Cross? Or was that something that was like, oh man, it's just a rebirth of my career? And I mean, how how did that feel those five years? And who were you battling against to get those championships? Yeah, ironically, the first year was just to get top two, so I can go ride one twenty five outdoors again because I did so good the, the year before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then towards a little bit towards the end of it, it was like, oh, you got to win. So I ended up winning. Um, it, the, the run was crazy, you know, because it's like once I started winning and got the first championship, um, you know, I didn't want to lose what I just got. So I really fought real hard for it. Yeah. And then some of those old, you know, confident feelings that I had from riding mini cycles started to come back. And I really started to find my groove uh, training wise, riding wise you know, um, the whole deal. And, and back then I always tell everybody too, like I would do a rain across and, uh, you know, I, I won and then I would go do supercross and do outdoor motocross, you know? And, and even when I would step back into the, you know, supercross and motocross world, I still was competitive, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was one of the things that I always hung my hat really good on is that, you know, I was always, always ready to go. Well, and, ready to go and earn my paycheck. Heck yeah. Now, at what point after the, the <clears throat> excuse me, fifth championship? Oh, got something in my throat. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, five. You win five in a row. You, you know, the king of arena cross. I guess you could say. And oh, thank you. Did you get? Uh, yeah, well, of course, man. Did you? Um, well, How did that... hang on? I, th- I thought Ricky Carmichael was. Isn't that why it's the oh. road? To... Is that not why he has that title? The road to. Is... <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Hey, I, he... I, I, I thought he maybe does. I missed all that. You're, the, you're the jackass that said it, not me. It, I was being sarcastic, obviously. Yeah, I know. I know. I missed it too. I missed it too. I didn't see him do any. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But uh, talk about now. The, the call can't you went back to back to uh supercross after this with uh, roger and factor suzuki how did that deal come mm-hmm. about that deal came about like um cole griff at the time was um i think he was part of the amateur world of racing but still kind of teetered between the factor team and connected with that and uh, he had been to a free arena crosses that year and you know me riding and obviously i was riding good yeah and um i think he just you know maybe seen a spot where the 125 team maybe had you know maybe not 
who they wanted to hire. I, I don't know, but he's like, hey, would you ride the 125 class again next year? And I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, you always want to challenge yourself as a racer. And I, you know, it's kind of like a cool thing to go full circle with it. And um, and then he's like, well, Roger wants you to try out for the position. I'm like, what? <laughs> I got I to gotta try out? Come on. And, uh, you know, I kind of fought that a little bit because I didn't think that, you know, I should have to try out for sure. where I had gotten. But at the end of the day, you know, I said, you know what? I'd rather have him sign off on it versus – you know, Cole have, you know, have him take me or me kind of force my way into it. And it was a freaking hot June day and I was out there riding <laughs> super cross. Maybe it was even July, into June, July. And, um, yeah, I rode good that day. So, um, he decided to, you know, have me, uh, ride super cross next year. Man, that's really cool. It's it's weird. It's really cool to come. I- full circle like that you know I, I hate that i missed a lot of that like I, i'm really I, I i'm still going back and watching a lot of those races but I, I just i hate that i was out of it i couldn't stomach not being on a ride and that was a point like i said i had gotten hurt had my son didn't have any money and i just couldn't stomach watching it and not being able to do it so i just man i, I but I'm, I'm regretting it right now because <laughs> i missed a no, lot of cool it, stuff it the thing of it is is like yeah, I could have, you know, I, I took a pay cut actually to go back and do Supercross, Motocross. Um, but for me, it was like a challenge, you know, yeah. and to prove to myself and to prove to, actually, I was kind of like also had the feeling like I got the Arena Cross series on my back too. Like I need to show those guys that, you know, these guys can go from here to there, you know, or back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. and you fast forward some years down the road and Bowers goes out, wins the main event, you know? Um, and then, you know, goes back and, you know, has a good supercross career in the lights class. Um, and you know, that was a big part of it too. You know, it's like I'd won five championships in a row and it's like, okay, I want the next challenge, you know? And, and like I said, I, I really had started to get things dialed in with my training, my writing, my just, just everything. So, um, there was no better time. I was 29 years old, <laughs> right? Um, racing a bunch of against a bunch of kids. Um, but I honestly loved it too because I got to. I was telling Lee McCollum, I think the other day he's on the team who was working for Verstana back then. You know, I got to help Danny Smith and Brandon Jessman and um, use some of the things that I had learned over the years of testing and and some of those things to try to to help to make them better, you know, and, and Jessman won championship next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I And that's, that's part of that world we're talking about from the nineties, you know, and, and that of, helping. you know, being a part of a helping and yep. making it better and yada, 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 you know? Yeah, well, definitely. Do you see that a little bit though with JGR? <laughs> I mean, do your guys, your riders does, you know, help each other out a little bit or are they are most of those guys pretty self-involved? My guys do. My guys, you know, um, they they help each other a bunch, and every once in a while, give each other a ration of crap too much, where you, you think the other one might, you know, go home with a box, box of tissues too. But uh, <laughs> I could see that with your yeah. guys, because like <laughs> Filthy and and Pike and Justin, they they seem like they're the kind of guys that would bust some balls. I could see Pike busting everybody's balls. Yeah. 
Chelsea and Weston are the are the ball busters. For I sure. can see that. <laughs> see, I would think like last year, just uh, Barsha probably was not like I in my I don't picture him. Yeah, I don't picture Justin busting balls too no. much. You know, um, believe it or not, Justin could bust them a little bit. He didn't like taking it, but he could right. bust them. See, I see that's <laughs> that was kind of more my point. I think I see him being maybe getting a little butt hurt at times. Yeah. I don't know him obviously. It's just outside looking in. Well, but... You got them, then you get Mookie over there who's just happy about everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah cool. That's true. <laughs> you know, that's true. Yeah. But, Very uh, true. You guys nailed it. But but Justin was actually pretty funny at times. Like he would get going and get. Um, I don't know if you call it endorphins or whatever, but he'd get pretty jacked. Maybe he had too much coffee. I don't know, but he would get going. And you're just going, what's up with this kid? But it, I thought it was funny. Yeah. You know, I, I come from a world of Denny Stevenson who would just bust out and fire Marshall Bill every once in a while. So there you go. You know, <laughs> so oh, we're gonna, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're running out of time. We're going to wrap this up here shortly, no but I, do, I have a few, few uh, questions for you uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Now, one, Give us mm-hmm. your best Denny Stevenson story that's appropriate. That's not obviously. a question. Huh? That's not a question. Well, whatever. Shut up, Danny. <laughs> Shut up, you dick. Anyways, uh, get, yeah. Well, well, okay, let me rephrase it. What is you your best Denny, you Denny Stevenson story? My best Denny Stevenson story, and I may or may not told this, but it's what sticks. Oh, I'll tell this one. Yeah. You want you want to? They're both rental car stories because he not, sucked in rental cars. He was horrible. <laughs> get get it um, on. I want to hear it. That's awesome. So one of them was I think my first championship, and we you know uh, my kid used to take us up in the mountains afterwards, the top twelve, and you get to spend two or three nights, and you paid for it, and um, we had our rental cars, and I think Denny got his you know stuck on a snow drift or something <laughs> like that. So and I was probably. 12 to 2 in the morning, somewhere in there. Um, he's stuck on a snow drift, and I decide I'm going to get it out. He's in the car, got it in reverse, wide open, and I'm ramming the back of my car into the front of his. <laughs> in the middle of the courtyard of the condos, and everybody ends up coming out of their condos and watching us try to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was number one. Right? That's awesome. Number two was in uh, Oklahoma City, went out with Denny and we had Ronnie Tishner's rental car at the time and Denny's driving. He decides to start hitting this jump and he's jumping a dang rental car and, you know, we're clonking, whatever. We bring it back to Ronnie's. It still seems intact, you know, it's a little clanky, but we get it back there. He drives it to the rental car the next morning at the airport and um, the rental car guy's like, this and that's wrong. It's $3,500 in damage. And Ronnie's like, what are you talking about? I didn't, you know, do any of this. And the guy, the rental car guys, we seen you jumping it last night. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so they were actually somewhere where we were jumping the rental car. Oh, I wasn't driving. Denny was driving. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, Denny, I could go on and on about rental car stories. Uh, yeah. He actually spun his rental car out one time um, right by in Long Beach on a big sweeping high rise crossover bridge spun out right in the middle of traffic one time before like it just goes on and on <laughs> <laughs> okay here, here next question what is uh mm-hmm. what is your and it just doesn't have to be on a dirt bike this can be in life period in general what is your what is the thing you're the most proud of oh my family for sure my kids um you know the fact that um i 
my daughter's out of the house and she's doing good. I'm very, very proud of that and proud of her. Uh, the fact that my son is um, so, you know, kind of uh, would be artistic or performance-based with um, the things that he does with singing and dancing and all those things, you know, um, sometimes I can't believe that they came for me and my wife, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm just a simple dirt bike guy, and, um, you know, they must get all our talent from her. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can relate. Trust me. But uh, last question: What is? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, first, how old are your are your kids? Uh, my daughter will be twenty three next or March next month, uh-huh. and my son six my son sixteen and driving. That we're scared with him driving, so he just started <laughs> yeah. driving. Oh man! <laughs> Good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, you have fun mm-hmm. with that one. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Crazy thing is, is we had our kids young obviously and now you know jeff's got his kids and they're younger and a lot of the people you know mcgrath kids are younger and, and me and my wife are in a space where we can go and kind of do what we want a little bit more and they're locked down a little bit more but yep. it was flipped around 15 years ago you know right <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um let's see last question Mm-hmm. What is your? What do you think your be, the the best day? You don't have to. It doesn't have to be a race win. It could be a race mm-hmm. win. Your best mm-hmm. day on a bike ever. What? What do you have? A, any one pinpointed? Oh man! Well, it would tough be tough not to be a race day. Sure, sure. Um, no, that's fine. You know, my funnest day on a bike is after a rain in Ritchie Canyon making a brand new track in the hills, having the loam hit you on the back on the way down hills. Like that's, that's the most fun day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, one of one race that always sticks out into my head is, is Washougal the year I came back and rode Supercross motocross. I, I went down in the first turn. I had been riding good all day in the second moto. And I came from, you know, last to sixth or seventh, um, in the second moto. And, you know, those are the races that you just, you're just riding, you know, you're just charging, riding. And uh, the crazy thing about it is I really had never really rode good at Washougal. And uh, for whatever reason that day, you know, it was one of those lights out race where I was just passing them left and right and moving through the field and, and uh, checker flag looked up and um, I, I think it might've had Fonseca to pass for six at the end, fifth or sixth. I don't know. One of those, but it was a really good race. And, and it always sticks out to me as one of those lights out races that um, was like only if I got a start. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, would, would have been t- would have been tough to beat James still, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you know it was still was good. A lot Man. of cool memories. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of good memories. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you walking us down memory lane and letting, especially oh, letting yeah. me relive some of that. Yep. Well, this oh, is I new information you for you, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, you sh- it should be inspiration. Like, you know, you guys still get back on the bikes and, you know, make the plus 40 class at Loretta's, 25 plus, and, you know, still do some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm actually going to uh, Loretta's qualifier for plus 40 uh, this weekend. I don't plan on actually going go. to Loretta's because I just can't afford to take a whole week and go, but I'm going to go run the races anyway. And I'm not. <laughs> try to, yeah. I'm not. I'm gonna let him have all that. I'm gonna watch Supercross on my couch. I don't. Well, care. I'll do that afterwards. Yeah. Or that, no, that'll be ninety four because we're racing Sunday. So you have fun with that. Hey, I'll tell you what. As much as you say, you know, you can't, but you really should try to schedule it at some point. 
and spend the week there, you will have a whole new respect for that race and that track. I did. Yeah. You know, it, it's pretty crazy. I could do it, I guess, if I planned ahead. And I just kind of always say, well, it's either <laughs> that. If I, if I do that, then it probably means I won't be going to the Supercrosses as much because i got to pick something, you know. and It's a commitment yeah, to go red, isn't taking it? Taking pretty much a whole week off and all that. But I guess everybody says you need to do it once, so I guess you're probably right. I'll just have to suck it up and maybe maybe next year. I tried in 2012, and I crashed out at the regionals, so I haven't tried again. Yeah. Yeah, well, you should. <laughs> but I just say that because I love challenges, and and last year was one of the biggest challenges that I'd faced in a while, and and one of the best challenges, you know, because it it ultimately got a lot of old things going back again that I didn't have going before with writing and the passion and the love for writing, um, you know, and and uh, I guess the moral of it is is you're never too old to. Uh, with some of those loves you have yeah that, that's motivating well we're gonna, st- that. we're gonna start the loretta's prep for 19 now yeah. i really feel like bud man just shamed See? me and i'm gonna <laughs> have to go do it you, now you i'm not letting you off the hook you gotta get out there and do it <laughs> awesome well i tell you what that's a deal i'll try i may well, not make it but i'm gonna bust my butt to try we, if you're, you're making a deal with us we should make a deal if your schedule's open you got to come out and at least like coach us one of the days or something <laughs> we need it trust <laughs> me <laughs> oh hey we can do that. Come All back right. to, to North Carolina and your prep and your final assault to get ready the last few days, and we'll do we'll do something out here. That's All a right. deal. Sounds like a deal. I That's like a it. deal, bud. Fired yeah, right. up. All right. Well, cool. hey, we appreciate your time tonight. This was a ton of fun. Thanks again, buddy. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for memory lane, guys, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Yeah, we'll see you. Absolutely. I'll see you in a week and a or in a couple of days. So, yep. Oh, see you in a couple of days. Daytona. No, no, it's a week in a couple of days. St. Louis. Oh, week in a couple of days. Yep. Oh, St. Louis. Yeah, see you there. All right, man. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Come get some food. Come get some food. I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. See you. Later, buddy. See you. Bye. Later. Bye. Bud, man, Antonez. That was yeah. fun, Jamie. That was a lot of fun. That's different than we normally do. I, I wish I'd had a little more info, but I mean, I, you, you know, I, I kind of stole some of your notes, and uh, <laughs> but you've done that to me a time or two, so I feel like it's fair. But uh, yeah, I don't care. I, I appreciate uh, you feeding me some notes because yeah, I didn't know a lot, and um, but that was really cool, and I, I like how yeah. he, man, you could tell he's still got a love for it. He's such a good dude, man. Yeah. You sit and talk there. I talked to him after the press conference when you were. Who were you interviewing? I don't remember who you were After talking to. After the press to. conference? Yeah, because uh, we were still in there. Oh, uh, I was interviewing Jimmy D, probably. It was probably Dakotas. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, as good as he did, and then Hill had, of course, won the um, – whatever, the week before, you know, the last yeah. – And uh, we were just chit-chatting. I'm like, man, how this feels good, huh? And he goes, yeah, because I said, now everybody can shut the hell up about that bike. And he was like, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he had done good on the 250 the week before. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, you could just see, like, yeah. he's still so pumped about this whole deal. Sure. But awesome, de- awesome time. Thank you for coming over here, man. Thanks for joining me on this little deal, and hopefully yeah. we can do some more of these. We'll do it. All right, guys. Uh, Muscle Mark Dark Side Moto X Pod Show. Hey, a special edition Moto X Pod Show. Bud we'll Man see, edition. Yeah, Bud Man edition. We'll see you next Tuesday, guys. See you guys. Check out the hook my DJ revolves it. <laughs>